0: Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod's Blogs community at Tripod.com, Jerry's Place for Canine Amputees and their people. Hello. Today is Sunday, july twenty fourth, twenty eleven, and you're listening to Tripod Talk Radio. I'm Jim, and with me as usual is Renee.
1: Hi everybody.
0: We've got a very important show for you here, so join us in the live chat room at tripods.com slash chat or call three one zero three eight eight nine seven three nine with your questions. On the phone with us is Jillian Myers from Healthy Paws LA to discuss the importance of having some basic knowledge about for pet first aid safety and cpr for dogs julian is a pet tech certified instructor of pet first aid cpr and care certification classes in los angeles and you can find out more at healthypawsla.com julian thanks for joining us on tripod talk
2: my pleasure jim and renee happy sunday to everybody out there and
1: happy sunday to you jillian <laughs> thank, thank you so much for being here i'm um, Can you tell us a little about why you started Healthy Paws?
2: I certainly can. Um, You know, I always considered myself a caring and conscientious um, pet owner. And back in 2007, I had taken my um, 7-year-old miniature dachshund, Diego, in to get a routine teeth cleaning. And, um, you know, I did all the preliminary tests to make sure that he falls within the normal guidelines, um, you know, as far as his health goes and when i picked him up you know i knew something was wrong and i said something to the vet tech i was like you know he doesn't quite seem right he doesn't really seem right to me and the vet tech was like oh he's just coming off his anesthesia and i thought okay well she's a professional i'm not you know so i get in my car and i go home to my dad's house i was actually back in indiana visiting my family and i my dad takes one look at Diego, and he's like, he doesn't look right. And I was like, oh, don't say that, because all the way home I, was kind of, I had this feeling in my gut, you know. Mm-hmm. So we called the vet. Yeah, we called the vet. It was busy. They were a little overbooked at that time. And so I called him again, and I talked to the vet tech. She said, give him an antibiotic. And I said, well, he can't even swallow water, you know. And um, she said, well, let me talk to the doctor. Call me back in five minutes. And so I called back in five minutes. And she said, well, the doctor said bring him on in. So I pulled out of my dad's driveway, and I stopped, and thank goodness I did, because I, I asked my dad, I said, you know what, can you drive so that I can hold Diego? Because we started driving, and, and this is about, my dad lives right on the outside uh, of town, and so it was about a 20-minute little drive, and about halfway there, Diego just went limp, you know, Aww. and... Yeah, I had, you know, I, I knew about pet first aid CPR classes, and I had always planned on taking one, but you know, life got in the way, and you you think it's not going to happen to you, and then when it does, it's the worst feeling ever. So, you know, I did the whole bargaining with God kind of thing and that kind of deal, and yeah, I blew into his mouth, which is now I know is not the right thing to do, you know, and and, and we got there, they worked on him for a half an hour, and he died. Oh so, my God. Yeah, and um, it was a really. This is actually one of the first times I've gotten through it, with it where I don't cry. I'm halfway in the middle, <laughs> you know. But it's 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 a it's a a story I talk about in my class because it is so important. You think it's not going to happen to you and. Even though it's a routine teeth cleaning, anytime or or even if it's you know spaying neutering, you know not that I'm saying these, these these procedures shouldn't be done, but you need to know that anytime a human or an animal goes under, there is a risk, you know. Um, so that made me um decide to take the pet or become an instructor for for pet first aid and CPR because I don't want anybody to go through what I have gone through, you know. And had I known then what I know, I mean. Yeah, had I known then what I know now, would I have been able to save him? I'm not sure. You know, would the rescue breathing or the CPR have been able to save him? I don't know, but I do know that I would have been able to recognize the signs that he was in shock. You know, he he was so out of it. He was um, cold to the touch. Um, I would have known how to do, you know, check his capillary refill, which is something that we teach in the class, and that his that his breathing was very labored. And I would never have left the vets office, so that would have been an hour that he they could have been working on him, you know before he got to the point that he did. So that's why I started doing that.:
0: Well, we want to know more about this um, pet saver, pet CPR, first aid and care certification. Who takes the course? What kind of things do they learn?
2: Well, actually anyone involved with animals, whether they're just, you know, your your typical pet owner or any pet care professional. When I first started uh teaching the class, it was mainly pet prepare, pet care professionals, dog walkers, groomers, trainers, that kind of thing, because they they actually know that this class is out there and and that it should be, you know, part of their re- repertoire as a pet care professional. But um, I recently started teaching it for the um, West Los Angeles College and Santa Monica Colleges as part of their continuing education class. And because they send out 180,000 brochures to the area, it's really, you know, been informational. And I've been packing these classes out with your, your just your typical pet owner. And so anyone involved with any kind of animal, I mean any, any kind of, you know, dog or cat, because that's what we concentrate on, um, should take this kind of class. They would benefit. And the type of things we cover, it is an eight-hour course, and it's basically three, three classes in one. Two hours is called Caring for Your Senior petison, And that's really about, you know, a lot of people are like, well, my dog's not a senior, but it's really about the steps that you need to take in order to get your an- animal to be a senior and then another 2 hours is called dental care for your pets because um good oral hygiene and this is true for both humans and for animals good oral hygiene can extend your life up to 30% and a lot of people don't know that so we we teach different um about how to um recognize periodontal disease and how to brush their teeth and that kind of thing and then 4 hours of the class is the actual first aid and CPR and we talk about um, rescue breathing and CPR and choking management um uh what should go in a first aid kit uh snout to tail assessment bleeding protocols I mean we cover a whole gamut of, of things in that 4 hours it really is that 8, eight hours it's jam packed full of information Good, and I if, if would you, love to take that class please. it it really is amazing you know i mean Obviously, you know, you guys have been around dogs. You're, you're, you know, pretty well informed, but you never know what you don't know. Um, And I haven't had anyone come to the class. Everyone that's taken the class, I kid you not, they're just like, this is great. I love it. And it's, it's really exciting for me because, you know, there are potentially hundreds of dogs whose lives I might be saving because I'm bringing into awareness different dangers that maybe the pet owner wouldn't have thought about in the first place. Yeah,
1: well, um, tell me now, uh, how does uh, pet first aid differ from that being done on a human? How how is it different on a dog or cat?
2: Well, there are some things that are similar, some things that are different. You know, for instance, if we're talking about, um, you know, bleeding protocols, you know, with both humans and with animals, we're going to elevate, we're going to apply pressure, we're going to, you know, wrap, we're going to immobilize if there's fractures. So those kind of things are are the same. But as far as say like rescue breathing, you know, with humans we do mouth to mouth. With animals we actually do mouth to snout. So you know you're blowing into the into their nose. To you, you compress their lips together, blow into their nose, and um, then with the CPR, that's a little bit different too because if you think you know we have totally different anatomies. You know, um, mm-hmm. your your typical dog is what we call a, a tapered chest. Um, or, your typical dog or cat is, is kind of a tapered chest, so it's easier to work on them from side to side because that's from side to side is the, the shortest distance to get to the heart. And, you know, typically they're laying on their side anyway if they're, if they're um, not having any, any heartbeat. Um, where your dog is maybe um, like a barrel chested dog, like an um, uh, English bulldog or maybe a mastiff, you know, where they have those, those big chests. You actually will roll them up so that they're laying on their back, and then you do the CPR over their heart kind of like a, like you do with a human. So there are some similarities there, but, you know, just because, you know, we have, we're, we're different anatomically, so similarities and differences.
0: You mentioned a snout-to-tail assessment. Can you kind of briefly describe what that entails without going into, you know, everything that your course teaches about it?
2: Right, yeah, certainly. The snout to tail, it's basically just what it says. We're going to go from snout to tail with deliberate intent. And what this does is it establishes a baseline for your pet's health, because that which can be measured can be improved. And this actually, you know, most people, hopefully, they're not going to have to do CPR or rescue breathing. It's like I think the statistic is like less than 2% of us will ever have to try to do that on our animal. But the snout-to-tail assessment is something that every animal um, owner should know um, how to do, and they should do it on a weekly or or even, you know, a couple times a week basis. And you're basically, you're, you start at the snout, and you're, you're um, checking the area for lumps, bumps, bruises, um, tenderness. And, and you go from the snout over the head. You check the ears. You're checking the eyes. You know, you're looking for differences from maybe the last time you did it and you you keep a pet health diary this is so important we you know because you know a lot of times when a um pet owner takes their animal into the vet maybe he's you know scratching or something like that and the the pet owner's like oh yeah you know he just started doing this or you know and this is why i brought him in well the vet's looking at it at at the animal and they're seeing like um, scarring, and they're seeing massive hair loss, and the veterinarian knows that this has been going on for a while, but because of our busy lives, and our, you know, it just has been brought into the pet owner's awareness. So if we're actually examining our animal on a, on a weekly basis, you know, we can see from one week to the next week, you know, if there's differences. For example, with my little, I have a little dachshund now, um, her name's Angel Baby, an angel baby has this kind of like little funky wart in her ear <laughs> and i'm just it's it's my vet said it's from a virus you know and i'm giving it, her these herbs and so that's one thing that every week i'm monitoring this because if if it gets kind of large and really funky you know we're going to end up having to do surgery but i'm keeping an eye on it you know if the if the herbs work and maybe it starts going down smaller then we can we can avoid that kind of thing you know we've had people that that have went home from our class and done this now-to-tail assessment, and this one woman, she um, found a pea-sized, um, like a like a cyst on the side of her on her of her dog, and she took it into the to the vet, and they did a needle aspiration, and it came up benign. Well, she kept an eye on it, and three months later, this cyst thing had grown to um, like the size of a walnut. And they did a needle aspiration, and it came up cancerous. So, you know, they did a surgery. They got it when it was still small as opposed to being, you know, a, a large problem, and the dog lives. So if you, if you catch things when they're small, it's not only um, easier on the dog because it's going to be less invasive, you know, if they don't, maybe they don't have to do surgery, but it's also less invasive on your pocketbook because, as we know, you know, vet bills are not going down anytime soon. Oh, we know all about that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, um, you know, one thing I want to talk about before uh, we run out of time is um, with the the incredible heat that's going on around the country right now, I don't don't know what it's like where you are, but today we had temperatures in the 90s, and um, there's a lot of lethargic, really tired dogs around here. Um, Can you tell me, what are some of the, the signs of heat stroke in a dog or heat exhaustion, and and what are some things we can do to help them when when the weather is really hot like this?
2: Well, just like you said, they can get, you know, very lethargic, very tired. Um, They um, may start foaming at the mouth, okay? They, um, you know, you get it a lot when you, um, like, say, you know, you get these people that just aren't thinking and they leave their dogs in their cars even sometimes you know they may leave the car or the dog in the car with the windows rolled down in the shade but you know just like you're saying if it's 100 degrees or more it can still get very hot in that car and you know we we see temperatures of it gets up to 115 uh, 115 degrees in in like 15 minutes and there's another way you can check if um if it, it the gums of a dog are very Telling as far as a dog's health goes, and if it's experiencing some type of um, heat stroke or heat injury, um, it may be like the 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 gums may be like really really like bright red. Normally they're supposed to be like bubblegum pink, okay? Um, But if they're really bright red, it just means that the the blood is kind of impacted in there and it's it's kind of like Los Angeles traffic you know there's all these all this traffic but no one's going anywhere it's kind of like all this blood's in there and it just can't go anywhere and um you know the things you want to do like if you, if you keep your dog outside all the time you want to make sure that it has some kind of shade you want to make sure that um it has um, fresh, a source of fresh water. You know, a lot of times our bigger dogs can knock those water bowls over, and then if they're out there all day long, then they might be more susceptible to heat stroke if there's no fresh water for them. And um, if you need to cool a dog down, um, it's a really good way to do it is to just take your hose, and, of course, you want to run it for a minute. You know how we always have that hot water that comes out um, of the hose first off. You don't want to make the dog any hotter than it already is. But you want to um you you can cool it down with nice cool water and we want and and we were using cool water as opposed to cold water because the cool water will um, uh, cool down the the blood in the extremities, which will go back to the torso and help you know um, cool the cool the torso area if we use cold wa- i mean like you know cold water ice cold water it will actually um uh, constrict the um, the blood vessels in the extremities oh, wow. and it'll create it'll create a, a like a thermal barrier so you're not doing it any favors when you're using really cold water you want cool water or you can um, wrap like a wet towel around them um, we have some animals um, both dogs and cats that we call brachycephalic, which means they have the this, this short muzzles like your pugs your Pekingese you know, they just don't have a, enough radiator for their chassis, um, your Pomeranians, that kind of thing. And those kind of dogs are even more susceptible to heat stroke. And they actually have, um, you you can go online, you probably have to Google it, but you, they have like um, little cooling pads that are kind of filled with water. You know, if, if I had one of those kind of dogs, then, you know, I, I'd definitely have one of these, these cooling pads for them that, so that they can lay down on and they even have like little cooling jackets that are like vests that um, fill up with water and you know if if um, you know you want to you keep them in the air conditioning keep them in you know keep, don't take them out and take them on the ride you know that day keep them in your house keep them in the air conditioning you know I, I heard about recently I'm, I do pet sitting and dog walking also on the side and heard about a, a pet sitter in the valley that um, neglected to turn on the air conditioning, you know, and I live in Venice, which is not too bad, but, you know, up in the valley, it'll get up to 112, 115, and the owners came home, and their dogs were darn near death. Thank goodness they oh. weren't, but it would definitely warranted a trip to the vet, um, emergency trip to the vet, which, you know, that cost that pet sitter not only you know the medical cost but it cost her that job but thank goodness it didn't cost that the animal's life Ugh, mm-hmm. yeah um,
1: you know backing up a, just a, a little bit um, you mentioned uh, about a dog's gums um That's what you call what do you call it a capillary refill test? The
2: capillary refill, yeah. On humans, you can you can check our our capillary refill by you pressing down on the nail bed till it turns white, and then you let go and you you see how quickly the the pink returns. The blood goes back to that that area, and if it is more than two seconds, then there's an issue going on. If it's more than five seconds, we really got a problem. Yeah, and and with with animals, you take your thumb, and you just you lift up their lip, just like you're checking their teeth to see if they, you know, need their teeth brushed or it's time to, you know, time to go to the dentist or something. Kind like you, you you lift up their gums, and you take your thumb and you press it against it, against their gum just enough for, you know, the blood to go out so it'll turn white. Then you let go and you see how long it takes for that um, the blood to go back in that area.
1: Because okay. if it doesn't
2: go back quickly, that means that means there's a problem with their circulation. Mm-hmm. Does that make uh, sense? Yeah, yeah that's,
0: yeah, that's really great to know. What, great to know. Um, what about a dog's nose? If it's wet or dry, does that really indicate anything? There's the old myth about you know if if it's, a dog's nose is cold.
2: It actually is like an old wives tale, you know, with with and that's what we teach in our the, the snout to tail assessment is, you know, cuz we start off at the snout, you know, the nose shouldn't be so wet that there's discharge coming out, but then it also shouldn't be so dry that it's it's cracked, you know, it's it, it, if if there's a nose that's dry and cracked, it doesn't necessarily mean that the dog is sick. It probably means that there's some kind of nutritional deficiency. Maybe they need more a higher grade of food, you know, some more omega 3s, that kind of thing.
0: So, uh, along those lines, are there any easy ways to tell if a dog has a fever without taking its temperature?
2: Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we, we, we have a.
0: Rectally.
2: Yeah, we have a, I, we have a little joke that I tell, you know, um, what's the difference between an oral thermometer and a rectal oh. thermometer? <laughs> the tape <Okay>. No. <laughs> yeah. Once, once it's a once it, it's the same thing. Because when I first took this class, I was like, "What?" They talk about a rectal thermometer, and I'm like, "What is that?" And they're like, "It's the same thing. You just once it's a rectal thermometer, it's always a rectal thermometer." <laughs> yeah. And so are there and any
0: tips for how to um, do that with your dog and, and not have him uh, say? Uh, <laughs> is an easy way to do it with dogs and not bother them so much.
2: Well, you know what? You gotta you gotta get some KY and lube it up. I mean, that's that's really the only okay. deal. I and, and get someone to help you. You know, and 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 we always say use a digital thermometer because they're they're more accurate and they're a lot quicker. You know, you don't want to be breaking off one of those dealios, You know, anywhere they yeah. shouldn't be broken off. And I personally don't like doing it. You know, but it's something that you need to do. Again, we go back to this the snout to tail assessment because you, there. there's a certain um, range that pets fall in. Just like humans, you know, they say we're 98.6. Well, I'm actually a little bit hotter than that. I usually run a little bit hotter. So you want to know what's normal for your dog or for your cat. So along with um, doing the snout to tail assessment, you should also do, um, you know, see what their temperature is and record that in the pel- pet health diary. So then you can see if something's going on when something's not normal for your pet. and you know just a a note with that snout to tell assessment um you know it's something that we recommend that you do on a weekly basis because it's also going to improve the veterinarian visit that you have you know when there shouldn't be any part of the animal that should you shouldn't be able to touch otherwise who's training who you know and when they're used to being um uh, touched and manipulated in a certain way every week, it's not a big deal. So that if you come across, if you're, if you, they get hit by a car and you, you're doing the snout to tail assessment for injury, it's the same thing as wellness, but you're just trying to discover if there are any issues with the animal that aren't immediately presenting themselves, you know. And you know, I know that you know, you guys focus really on your your tripods, you know, your your three-legged animals, and sometimes they're coming home from surgery. So you want to make sure the the snout to tail assessment is something that you're going to do at least every day because you want to make sure that nothing's changing from one day to the next. You know, is there an infection in the area? Um, you know, if, if they are showing a temperature, they might that might show that there, it's an onset of an infection, that kind of thing. So you want to monitor that animal on a daily basis, and they're going to be because you've already done that before. They're going to be used to that. You know. Um, we want to make sure that everything we do is slow and low and calm and deliberate because we never we never want to freak the animal out. Oh yeah,
1: we know about that. We have a dog who hates to be touched, but we do it because he needs it. Yeah. And in fact, we just found a funky little lump on him yesterday that he's going to go see the vet for tomorrow. Um,
2: but uh, and know, hopefully it's nothing. Know, we, hopefully it's nothing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I'm I'm really hoping it's <laughs> not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, we, uh, we have a lot of members here who um, have dogs that go through surgery and um, you know the first we, we like to say the first two weeks are hell, but really yeah. it's the first it's the first 48 hours that, that tend to be really touch and go and I wanted to ask you what are some of the things that we should look for when, when a dog comes home from surgery? I mean you, you went through that horrible experience with poor Diego. Um, what should uh, you yeah. be looking for when when a dog gets out of the hospital and he's been under anesthesia?
2: Well, again, you know, you yeah, you wanna monitor I mean when obviously it's gonna be a little bit different than just a routine tooth cleaning. You know, when Diego would come home from a before, you know, he'd be a little out of it but he was still he was still able to move, that kind of thing. You know, this time he was just he was just laying on the side, he had very labored breathing, that kind of thing you know um with an animal coming out of a major surgery like that, you really again, I keep going back to the snout to tail assessment you know you want to sit there and monitor all of the um all of the uh both the physical and the behavioral aspects of the animal you know are they acting lethargic um um you know what is their is their level of consciousness you know um and then, when you're looking at the physical um, aspects of them, again, you know take the temperature you know, take it every couple of hours, just in case again, the, the sooner you can quit you can catch any problems, the sooner you can take care of those problems, you know as far as like the amputated area, you know you want to make sure that the um area around the the wound if it's warm or it's hot that could be the onset of an infection if it becomes red and swollen if there's any kind of you know funky discharge like pus or um you know white yellow uh greenish kind of things um red lines running up from the the extremity from the from the wound if there's an increase um more pain than than what the animal was experiencing you know maybe a couple hours ago um, tenderness, fever, you know, um, funky smells. Smells are always, those are huge, huge mm-hmm. signs.
0: That, that's some great advice, and I was just going to ask you about that. Do you have um, any sort of tips for basic wound care? Many of our members, you know, bring home their dogs with these huge amputation incisions, which may or may not have a drain, and very little direction from their vets, surprisingly.
2: Well, you know, as far as you know, I, I would say you know, you just want to mainly you want to you want to keep it clean. You want to make sure that all everything with the animals is 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 clean. You want to um, uh, you know not let them run around too much. Obviously, I mean, depending on the animal, you know, sometimes they're kind of way out of it. So, sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes they don't they don't, they bounce back pretty quickly it just really depends on on the animal um but you you want to make sure you know i would take a pet first aid class because then you can learn how to bandage how to rewrap things because you know a lot of times um when when i teach people like bandaging things like that in the class you know there are certain ways you want to bandage because sometimes you can actually um bandage where you're bandaging so tightly that that bandage is acting like a tourniquet and it's cutting off blood and and you know especially when that um you've come out of a surgery, you know what does that area need is it needs those that rich oxygen rich blood to to circulate in that area to really get that um the the healing moving and if you're wrapping that that um rewrapping that bandage so tight that you're cutting off that blood, you're gonna have a problem. You know, so it's really again I, I have to say, you know, it's really going back to that snout to tail assessment and being prepared, you know, if the wound smells bad, if if there's swollen glands, if, if the dog is acting, even if it's not really around um the wound area, if there's tenderness in other places like their their glands, you know, and their groin or their armpits, again that could be another sign of infection.
0: A class sounds like a great place to start for anyone who might be going through this. And with just a couple minutes left, I'm wondering, we recently wrote about the importance of having a pet first aid kit on hand in our Tripods Gear blog. Can you tell us yes. briefly what would be the most important items to have on hand in case of emergency for your
2: dog? Well, you always want to make sure that you have an um, uh, extra leash, you know, an extra collar, because you never know, you know, when, if you're out, you know, if if it's your dog or if it's another dog, you know, you might need to use this leash um, even as a muzzle. We teach um, how to use, you can use a leash as, we teach like two different ways to tie it up as a muzzle because you know, you want to make sure that you keep the dog under control. Um, You should always have um, bandages. You should have um, like three inch gauze squares and then uh, sterile bandage wraps, and you could have, um, you know, a good thing that that we women know about that is really great for packing wounds, like ba- bleeding wounds. That you know, they're sanitary napkins. Those are great things to have. You know, for horses, they actually use baby diapers. You know, because those are used to to carry liquid. Um, you definitely want to have hydrogen peroxide. Um, that's something that veterinarians use to induce vomiting. You know, if your animal has gotten into something that's um, poisonous, hydrogen peroxide works really well. But, again, you want to take a class. You want to talk to your veterinarian to know about what the dosage dosage level should be for your animal's size. Um,
0: That's that's uh, wonderful wonderful advice. I really hate to cut us off here, but we're running short on time. We need to go. I want to thank you for your time. And tell listeners they can find a selection of helpful pet first aid kits at gear.tripods.com. And for the best amputation recovery and care tips, join the discussion at tripods. dot com slash forums. Thanks again, Julian.
2: Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Renee. Thanks, Julian.
0: Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three legged dogs at.